Lil Texas is a DJ and musician known as the kink daddy of American hardcore. Here for the underdogs, the outcasts, and the black sheep of dance music, Lil Texas is also clean and sober, and we are thrilled to discuss all of this and more today on Sober Sex. Creativity, authenticity, body autonomy, mental health, sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, got it, mental growth, sober sex, all of this and more. This is hard. Hard questions. How are you? <laughs> so good. I'm actually feeling great. Just did cardio, so got the got the little little cardio high going on, and uh, yeah, I'm good. Awesome. I hope that we don't have like an endorphin crash while we're talking. Did you have a snack? <laughs> uh, I usually do it fasted, um, but I did have like some caffeine. So okay, I'm cool. <laughs> Just raw dogging reality right now. Beautiful. Um, and where are you? Uh, I'm in Los Angeles currently. Um, yeah, yeah, Los Angeles. Beautiful, and that is totally, that's where you're based normally. Um, yes, uh, I've been here for quite some time actually now, but I'm going to move pretty soon. To where? Or is it secret? Yes, actually. Did you just um, have so much fun at EDC that you're like, I have to live here? Uh, no, I think I'm just like at a point in my life where I'm like, okay, like it was worth it living here, like. Love LA. Definitely. It was a huge part of my career, but, uh, from like a sort of, you know, long-term planning fiscal type, you know, mentality, it just really doesn't make sense to live here. And I would love some more space. Totally. <laughs> I totally hear that. And that's why I live in, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere in France. So I support your choices. Yeah. Vegas is almost the same. Although I have to say that like, I feel like Vegas gets a bad rep just for, because like you can day drink in public. Uh, but there's like the, you know, that beautiful like Red Rocks, like that little national park right next door. You have like crazy sobriety, which is really nice. Absolutely. Where there's, where there's partying, there's sobriety. Voila. Anyway. So, so where are you from, from originally? Dallas. I, I grew up in Dallas, spent the first 18 years of my life there. I moved back for a tiny little bit before I uh, came back or came out to LA. Um, but yeah, Texas. Awesome. Hence little Texas. Born and raised. Why? <laughs> really from Texas. I'm like, why would I like rep the state state of Texas if I wasn't actually from there? We don't have the rep. Just you're you like know. that would just be crazy. Yeah, not a great rep as far as the state is concerned. I feel like you do a really good job though. Like I feel like you're you're a token uh, to them. Like it's yeah, a good thing. Yeah. That's part of the thing. You know, they like, should hey, be proud. <laughs> and what uh what are your pronouns? Uh, he, him. And what is your experience of gender today? Your gender specifically? Uh, I think, you know, gender, gender is, uh, something that I, I find that like the balance for me lies in like that duality of 
and for lack of a better way to describe it, but but to many this would be an excellent way to describe it. Um, I think it's a balance between the divine mask and the divine femme, and, and obviously I'm a pretty mask dude. Um, I, I lean that way. Um, that's just you know just how the cookie crumbled. Um, but uh, I think that balance is so vital to uh, uh, strengthen both sides. Actually, it's that that like I can be a meathead gym bro. But like, I have to be a sensitive, I have to be in touch with a sensitive femme in me to make the complete individual because it's, you know, it's like the yin and yang is two, but it's, it's really one, you know? That's and that, so beautiful. Yeah. 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 And so that's kind of like my concept just kind of in general, actually in life that it's like, if you're going to be Mr. Hardcore crazy cowboy, you need to be like Mr. You know, sit down and meditate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They must balance each other out. I mean, and I feel like you know, as kind of the, the subject of the podcast speaks to this idea of like, how do we, um, how do we balance that in practice? And like, what does that look like for individuals? And and so I'm really excited to talk to you about that stuff today. Um, and so now that the easy ones are out of the way, um, how, how did you start making music? Uh, I always love, you know, I've always loved music. Like, like, and I think that most artists will answer that question that way that it's like music hit me different um when i was a very young child and it, and it started with like new metal um i was born in 89 and so like 1998 rolls around you know 97 and i'm you know entering into a period of time where i can like you know start to hear things and culture is starting to like hit me and i'm sort of starting to make this conscious my own personal consciousness is setting in you know not like just the like you know, the trickle down effect of like parents' tastes and do you yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and you know, so you got, I had the older neighbor friend and I remember hearing like corn and biscuit and slipknot and the, you know, even the, you got to throw the BC boys in there, Deftones, even like early 311, um, before they went all like Amber is my energy, um, <laughs> is like very new metal. It's interesting if you actually go back and listen to them, they were very like kind of heavy and new metal. Um, and so that like really, hooked me first and then it went into like punk um and my first band was like a kind of like street punk band a la punk core records the unseen the virus you know cheap sex debauchicas um we were the corruption of course um and so that was kind of my first introduction into playing music um and so i was a bass player for a very long time afterwards and then how did you kind of pivot and or no, let's, let's backtrack. And how did kind of drugs and alcohol enter the picture? Was that kind of like, cause often, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll come hand in hand, but it sounds like you started the rock and roll part quite early. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think early on, uh, the interest in using, using substances, the appeal of that via, you know, seeing bands and other people doing it, um, was definitely there, you know, like I wanted to try it and I've never been a like scared to try things type of guy. Um, I'm quite impulsive in that way. Like if a bunch of people are jumping off a cliff into a lake, I'm going to jump off the cliff, but I'm going to do a backflip. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, I've always been that way. Um, and I was a skater, skateboarder, um, and stuff. And so, you know, drugs and alcohol eventually crossed my path. Um, I, I, I sought it out, you know, um, a little bit, but they, they eventually crossed the path and, 
And, uh, when I, when I tried them, I, uh, you know, I experienced it. I, I liked the effect produced. So, yeah, I, I hear that that's an ominous, uh, forewarning, uh, but okay. And, but it sounds like, you know, that you were pretty kind of the through line for you is like hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a jazz phase. There was a jazz phase. Sorry. My girlfriend's running around. Um, Hi. <laughs> there was a jazz phase. I actually got really, really into playing my instrument, you know? Um, I don't know why it just happened that way. And, um, I got very into like the funk R and B jazz music school type guy. Like I went to Berkeley college of music. So like I was very in the living that life. But I mean, when I say hardcore, I don't mean necessarily as a genre. I mean, like as a personality trait. Oh, absolutely. Full <laughs> throttle, no throttle. There's, there's very little in between. I've been able to get more in between in my older years, um, been able to reel it in, but most of the time it's 100 or zero. Um, and that's how I've always been. <laughs> Word. I, t- I mean, and it's interesting because it's like, you know, I think for some people they kind of turn on when they uh, find drugs or alcohol or when they find like the thing that kind of like hits that button. But it sounds like between like the music you were listening to and like the, you know, extreme sports and, <laughs> you know, doing the backflip off the cliff into the like even proverbially that like this was kind of like your personality prior to discovering drugs and alcohol. And I'm sure that that didn't necessarily help (laughs) tone it down. No, no, it definitely didn't. And and unfortunately, like the energy got redirected away over the years. It got redirected into the drugs and alcohol because I liked the effect so much because it provided so much of like a solution to like this sort of uneasy feeling or anxiety or like, you know, spiritual malady, whatever term you want to use. Um, human condition. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's really that simple that, that, that it, it, it made dealing with the self, which is, you know, the primary issue we have as humans, um, or whether or not you believe that the self is real or not, or whatever, um, doesn't really matter, but dealing with that concept, uh, you know, it made it very, very easy to deal with that concept. It worked very well for a very long time. And unfortunately the energy that I had directing at this, this positive stuff got redirected into the drugs did you feel like it kind of took you away from the thing that was your actual passion and kind of carved, carved you a different route? Absolutely. The drugs, is it you yeah. referring to the drug? Oh my God. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was the worst thing that ever happened. If but you don't mind best- talking about it, what was that in like active practice? Uh, like, what was oh, your yeah, shit, I, man? <laughs> yeah, no, let's talk about it. Let's get, let's get, let's, let's get the, the war stories up there. Um, yeah, you know, you know, typical weed, you know, acid shrooms, whatever, like in the high, in high school. But you know, I got I got introduced to heroin in college, and uh, in Berkeley. Yeah, Berkeley. Being a Boston. jazz guy. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Yeah, one of my friend's dad is like, it's the jazz music. They're all on heroin. Um, makes sense. Uh, yeah, I got really into heroin. Uh, thank God this was before fentanyl. You know, um, seriously. I think it was it was actually oxycotton back when like oxycotton was you know the thing. Um, the OC epidemic kind of started it. And then I realized that heroin was cheaper. So I started doing heroin. Um, and that was, you know, the first thing that, you know, you start crossing lines that you said you wouldn't cross. Um, and, you know, experiencing withdrawals and, and just, it just consumed my life that I like had, it went from like wanting to use and getting, getting maybe a little too fucked up, you know, sometimes to, to, you know, having to get high. 
you know, having to continue to use to, to fight off withdrawals. And then, you know, it started that cycle of like clean it up for a while somehow um, with enough consequences. I was kind of able to clean it up um, and then, you know, find myself in the same place in a fucking bathroom looking in the mirror going, how the fuck did I get here? Throwing up. Mm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'll be able to do that. <laughs> and, Go ahead. And, no, you know, please continue. Cause I was going to do a hard pivot. <laughs> oh, characteristic yeah. of the show. I mean, long story short, you know, like I know that I'm an, I'm an addict, you know, like I know that I've got that like thing that separates me from, from the people who are not addicts and even the people who get like really fucked up. Uh, you know, the hard drinkers or the hard, the hard users, uh, who like, you know, they have a kid and they stop. Yeah. They they can get their shit together somehow. Yeah. And that like really that concept to me, like really is hard to understand because it's just so not my story. And, And I'm, I'm of the addict alcoholic variety. Um, and so like, I actually was able to put the heroin down, but, but I moved to LA and I got into crystal meth. Um, and, and I'm a junkie turned tweaker and, and which is, but I loved it. That was actually my, you know, I, I hadn't really experienced that. And when I did that, it was like, okay, I really have fucking arrived, you know, cause I'm really more of a check-in type guy than a checkout type guy. Yeah. I can, um, I can relate as a simulant myself. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that destroyed my life in five months. Um, like I didn't think it could get worse than that. And, you know, the whole deal, psychotic delusions, you know, voices, seeing people, seeing shadow people, uh, calling my parents thinking I was on intervention. Uh, breaking I thought up. I was on intervention and my drug was cocaine. <laughs> so, really? Oh my God. <laughs> I've never heard anybody else who had that story. That's, that's either <laughs> convinced, like, convinced. <laughs> I had to like, was it, your family? was it your family or was it just intervention? Well, I was afraid that like I was being surveilled, surveyed. <laughs> so I kept having to like take apart my, at the time, like Nokia brick phone and put like the different parts in different rooms in case A, I was being tapped and B, in case um, like I would accidentally call someone and they would hear what I was doing. And then also I was really anxious about like living in New York city at the time. There's a lot you can see across the, you know, the street at your neighbor's window. And so I was very convinced that there was like camera crews. Yeah. (laughs) I had the windows boarded up. I had the, I had all these, like these, like, um, it's hard to explain, but I had all these like people who like I had attached all these personalities and these like stories onto the people who I thought I was hearing or I thought were watching me. So like I thought my neighbors and, and the, the funniest thing was at the very end, I'm going to rehab, right? It's like the day before I'm going to rehab, I'm packing up all my shit and I walk out of my apartment and I look next door to the, to the place that was right next to me. And I was like, Whoa, did they move out? And the realtor was there. I was like, did they move out? And he's like, they haven't been here for like two months. And I was like, Oh my Mind God. Blown. <laughs> oh my God. I am crazy. I'm crazy. I've been hearing voices of people that I was convinced were there, but guess what? They really weren't there. <laughs> oh man. That's like, that's humbling. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And also like, I mean, I think that that's one of the kind of slower things to heal the ability to like, not feel like the calls coming from inside the house, you know, yeah. even within sobriety, like in long-term sobriety to be like, fuck, like I'm a safe place. Like I can believe my own intuition, my own thoughts. Cause like that shit gets so scrambled. Oh, scary. That's the big takeaway. I, I talk about it now, you know, when I'm you know doing talks or whatever, I'm, 
I'm like, it was just fucking scary and confusing. And my life isn't fucking scary and confusing anymore. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, that's like as simple as possible. That's it. <laughs> like, yeah. it's really fun. And I have a lot of freedom today. And guess what? Like, no, like shadow people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to kind of, again, as I was uh, alluding to, like a harsh pivot, like, because again, the name of the show is Sober Sex. What were the first messages you received around sex and sexuality? Um, I looked at that question and I was like, interesting. Um, I really, I, I, the thing that came to my mind was the neighbor kid, the older neighbor kid telling me what sex was and me just being like, there is no fucking way. (laughs) That is what it is. That is insane. That is not real. You know? And that was like, that was the first, first thing in sex. But then I did realize it was real. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. My relationship with sex has actually been pretty relatively healthy. You know, um, it's, it's never been a, a a sort of strange thing for me. And I, I I think that like, I don't know, you know, I got the talk and when I was young from the parents and, and sex has always been, you know, it's, it's, I'm definitely a sexual person for sure. I mean, people have seen my page and stuff definitely know that, um, that I like, I, like to put myself out there in a, in a sexual open way. Um, for you, is that like the same energy? Like when you, you know, like (laughs) for, for listeners who might not be familiar with your work, you are an incredible performer. And one of the, the kind of highlights of that performance is often getting entirely butt naked, except for your cowboy hat on top of your DJ decks, which is like quite an, quite a feat in, in terms of exhibitionism. But would you call that, was that, like, I know that when I perform, like, it's definitely, like, a sexual energy. There's, like, an erotic energy to it, but it's very yeah. different from my actual sexual, live sexual energy, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe the opposite, in fact. So I'm curious as to kind of, like, where those things intersect for you. If, as, like, a sexual person, like, how does that – I mean, maybe this is a later part of the conversation, but let's fucking go with it. <laughs> like, sure, how does point. that get channeled into your work? Uh, no, no, that's I, – I actually – I think I related to – yeah, I, I related to what you said, actually. Um, that that uh, when the cowboy hat when the cowboy hat comes on, things change, you know. <laughs> um, and I've always been a big like, I'm in the entertainment biz. I'm a sh- showbiz baby, showbiz. Um, and so, so I've always been attracted to. Uh, I've always been attracted to wild performers. Um, sort of like, I don't want to say like exhibitionist type performers. Um, but you know, like guys like, like Iggy pop and like all the like classic, like, you know, sort of like rocker guys and even like Brett Michaels and dudes like that. Um, you know, there's always been like a sort of appeal there and like bands like Slipknot and like, even like guys like, like little Uzi Vert nowadays, um, you know, like take it there. Yeah. They'll take it there. And they're just they're just out there loud individuals. And for me, like I've always been attracted to that. So with the brand, you know, it it just sort of like ventured that way. Um, and also like people love it, you know, people love it. Um, and, and I work so hard. (laughs) I work so hard on my fucking body. I might as well show it off, you know? Um, Cause it's sculpture to me. Like I'm very into bodybuilding. So I think the human physique is like a sec uh, is, you know, 
sculpting the human physique to an aesthetic thing is, 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 is cool to me. And I'm attracted to that. I'm attracted to people who are into that as well. Um, but honestly, like, I really think a lot of it is just showbiz, you know, but I, but it's also yeah. like, I want to make, but also here's really what it, I want to make hardcore fashion and cool and sexy, you know, cause I, mm-hmm. cause when I got into hardcore, at least in the like Europe hardcore scene back in like 2019, even today, it's a, it's kind of serious in a lot of regards, you know, like very like, yeah, it's a little uptight. <laughs> yeah. It's a little, you know, and, and, and obviously I'm a little bit of an extreme reaction to that, but like, mm-hmm. I think hardcore is fashion. I think that this music is like edgy and punk and cool. Um, and I want to bring that mentality into it. So yeah. And I, and obviously like having like, you know, sexually charged experiences in my real life and, 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 you know, kind of primal carnal experiences where you're losing yourself with another person um, definitely has like some similarities to like what I'm doing live for sure. You know, it's like pure energy. It's pure like of speed and, 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 and that. Um, yeah. It's very I, like visceral. I think. Visceral, it's really yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. perfect um, but in my personal life, yeah, I'm definitely like, stoked on being in a relationship for as long. I have like a wonderful girlfriend who is like super, super supportive. Um, and, uh, not many people know that, but, um, fuck it. Uh, uh, we're both both, like kind of like public facing. So like we kind of keep it a little private. Um, just, it seems to be beneficial for our careers, at least up until recently. Um, and uh, in terms of what, <laughs> like, it's been great for our careers until until now, or uh, uh, at a point where we're like, I, we don't really care as much about like that image of like appealing, appearing single, essentially. Yeah, or yeah, kind of, or just like you know, I don't know, because we both are in that like sort of field, but like we don't really care anymore. Um, nonetheless, uh, but also like we had some like issues with some fans and stuff being a little psychotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and like sending our parents like weird shit mm-hmm. um, somehow, which was like very weird, very weird day. So we kind of kept it on the low just to like, you know, mediate. yeah, chill that out. Ooh, yeah. um, I, we'll probably circle back to like the idea of kind of what it it's like being in a relationship with somebody in this industry because I imagine that's like different. But I'm also curious, like, to kind of backtrack, like, how did you know? We talked a little bit about how your drug use like derailed you from your true passion, which is clearly music. And how did it kind of affect your like relationships or your sex life at the time? I imagine that like being an opiate addict and then being a meth addict were two very different energies. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, it, you know, ultimately I was in a room alone, you know, ultimately there was like no sex life ultimately. And it was just, different for many crystal meth people um that, like, yeah, some people are very hypersexual yeah very hypersexual drug um and 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 but i was like so incapacitated with all the like you know paranoia and all that stuff that like i, w- I was just in a room alone you know and and, and like my sex life it, or like my normal life it just like destroyed any semblance of my sex life and 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 i think you know the experiences i did have on those drugs and partying really really hard were very like in retrospect, I had some good ones, obviously, but a lot of it was pretty dark, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And nowadays it's, it's much, I'm a big believer in, in uh, what kind of like what you were saying that it's, I don't, I don't know, maybe you were alluding to this, that like, there's something to be said for like 
being in a cool, calm relationship or being in a cool, calm situation. Um, and yeah, as you were saying, like not scary. What is it? Not bad and scary. <laughs> it's really scary and confusing. Yeah. <laughs> not scary and confusing in life, in relationship, like in work. It's a good life. I think a lot of DJs, like they have, a, they have, they have issues with their, I think a lot of DJs have an avoidant attachment type, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, or, or they were like maybe secure or anxious at one point in their lives. Um, and like, I think if like the career goes well and we, we obviously all know the perks of that career, um, path, uh, I think that an avoidant attachment type can develop and that's like really, really dangerous, you know? Um, and, and that was actually something that I had to like put a lot of work into because I was, I'm an addict, you know, so I was having a lot of my first couple years, you know, I was having a lot of experiences that were extremely empty. Um, and given the fact that I was not able to, uh, not able to hook up and do things in, in the fashion that I could once I got the, the, you know, the clout and the DJ shit, I guess, um, you know, I definitely like did that, you know, and I thought that that was going to be a source of, of worth, mm-hmm. you know, turns out it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. I mean, part of the reason that we have the show, actually, we, the Royal, we used to have two co-hosts and now it's just me, but um, is this idea of kind of like stripping away the, like the pathologizing of sexuality in sobriety. And I mean, one of the reasons, the other reason is just to ask people these questions because it's, you know, a, a broad variety of experience. And I think like, I appreciate your vulnerability and your honesty with all this stuff, because I think it can be really easy to kind of, you know, as they say, like, uh, a straight pepper diet, you know, especially if you're kind of given a lot of opportunities to, to have your ego flex in that department, you know, I mean, I feel like that, that experience might be different, um, for men and women (laughs) in this job. Um, but I imagine especially kind of like anything that, that, as you say, kind of offers clout, like can be, treacherous just because it's also like I know that some some of the times that I've felt most kind of externally successful like magazine covers or whatever have felt the worst you know like you were saying like have not only felt empty but actually actively horrible <laughs> yeah um just because the ego it's not one's amigo <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 uh yeah it's very very interesting talk I, I do a lot of like philosophy and psychology reading um, big reader. Uh, I don't watch very much TV anymore. Um, and so I've, I've looked into a lot of this stuff just cause I want to be, like I said, like, it's all about that balance that like, you know, the meathead chat is good. Um, and I think that, I think that it's, it's, physical activity obviously is good for everybody, but I think like, you know, it, it's really, really good for like, you know, cis kind of, you know, whatever men, Um, It's a good place to begin, at least men that like feel kind of disillusioned or apathetic towards anything, which is extremely common these days. I think that that getting involved physically first and then, you know, taking that to the other levels. But I think a lot of guys like lean into that too hard and it's like, no, dude, like you got to balance that out. It's kind of like shadow work, you know, like dark kind of stuff, Um, you know. No, for sure. I mean, like we'll definitely let's put a pin in that and come back yeah. to it because I'm really curious as to kind of what your experience is with like embodiment, especially because you've had kind of a radical physical transformation over time. But um, 
we'll circle back there, but I'm curious as to like, how did you eventually get sober? You, I heard that you went to rehab <laughs> after confirming that the shadow people weren't real yeah. next door. <laughs> and what happened from there? Uh, I, you know, I fought a little bit. Um, I, I you know, I've, I've got some AMAs and for those of the people, people who don't know, that's when you it's not ask me anything. <laughs> yeah. Decide to check yourself out against uh, medical advice. <laughs> yeah. Against medical advice. Um, you know, and, and, Eventually, I got to a place where it was like, all right, everybody's kind of telling me to do this one thing, right? And uh, I've been resistant to this one thing for some reason. I don't know why, but I have, even though like there's like just ample empirical evidence that, that like it works. Um, and so there might be another way, but but this one thing has worked. Um, and, and for some reason, I'm just going to fight it tooth and nail. I don't know why. Um, probably my ego. Um, I mean, and- I I like, were you... It sounds like you were trying to get sober, but you just didn't want to get sober in a certain way. Is that accurate? Or were you just, were you fighting the, the idea that you needed to get sober? Uh, both, I think. <laughs> uh, I think I was fighting the idea that my life was unmanageable. You know? uh, fighting yeah. the idea. I knew that I had a problem. You know, like I knew that I had a problem with drugs. Um, but I don't think I was willing to admit that like, no matter what, my life was going to like become unmanageable. And so to me, that looks... The classic I'm not willing to admit to admit unmanageability is like it's just the math. Like I can smoke <laughs> and drink, you know. Yeah. If I get a better job, if if my you know my music career, what I you know all these different excuses, and so so I wasn't really re- willing to admit that. But also that like crux in the road where it was like, man, I really can't see my I can't envision life continuing on this like dark path using, but I also can't see life not using. You know, yeah. like that's scary as fuck too. Like what I need my medicine. Like, what are you trying are you trying to tell me I have to be sober the rest of my life? Like that's so daunting. What if something bad happens? What if I something good happens? Can't celebrate. And so that was like really like hard pill to swallow. Um, but eventually I just got so beat up, like emotionally, not physically, actually. The last time I AMA'd I like ran out of money. So like I kind of ran out of drugs and, and, and I actually wasn't as physically like wrought out, you know, from the, like not sleeping and the, all the other weird shit. And, 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 uh, emotionally I hit this bottom where I, where I kind of realized that nothing was going to change. Mm. It's going to continue. Like this isn't going to change and I'm going to be 30, you know, four and I'm still going to be doing this. Um, and th- that's, that's not something I'm interested in doing. Uh, and so I, you know, listened to the people. I made this commitment at one point. And I just said, all right, I'm going to fucking do it. I'm going to do what all these people are telling me to do because they seem to have their shit together and I'm going to do what they do. They seem to be happy. And I just like fully committed. Um, and, I, and, I, and so I did the rehab and they told me to jump. I fucking jumped. And when they told me to, you know, clean the cigarette butts, I cleaned the cigarette butts. And when they told me to go to sober living, I went to sober living. When the sober living asked me to be a manager at that sober living, I said, yes, I will. Um, and when they told me they're moving a kid into my bunk bedroom, I said, fine. Uh, <laughs> I mean, how did it feel? Because I remember like there was a real moment when it, I was in treatment that like, there, you know, they did something that I typically would have like lost my shit absolutely over. And I remember just feeling like, I give up. Okay. Like what, like, 
I remember the visceral sense of surrender at that moment and like that it just made my life easier. And it was like the first kind of positive reinforcement. And I wonder how you kind of experienced that, like that moment of surrender. It was just like that. It was just like that. And it's actually at least my story, which I wish it was just like that. And then I stayed sober. There's, there's quite a bit of stuff in between, but like that first, like four five, six, seven, eight months where I was just like doing whatever they told me to do. Um, it was exactly what you said. It was just so freeing, almost immediately. It was like, all I had to do was stop fighting. All I had to do was stop fighting. And that like inner conflict inside of my head with Sam or the other Sam, you know what I mean? Like it stopped. It just stopped. The chatter stopped that like fight stopped between the false self and the, and the, the real self as you know, I guess if you want to describe it in those terms and it's so, I look back just, and it's just like you described it. I look back and it's this like insanely freeing experience. Um, and I've so actually, I've taken that into like my spiritual practice late, you know, down the line that that concept right there, that when you just stop the fucking back and forth between me and there's no problem. <laughs> yeah, it just dissipates. Everything dissipates. And so that was my surrender. surrender. And it was great. It was awesome. <laughs> and then what happened? Because you talk uh, about a little bit of back and forth. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I got the cash and prizes pretty quickly. You know, so I got the where was your career like when you first got sober and then kind of is that the cash and prizes oh, okay, you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so back in like 2012, 2013, I was like had a semblance of something that was going to happen. Um, like we're, the EDM trap was popping off. Um, and I was making like club music and trap shit. Um, and I, like I had gotten signed and like toured with some guys, um, and some bigger DJs were kind of like starting to follow me and like recognize me. Um, and long story short, I like threw it all away. I moved to LA 2013, threw it all away. And by 2015, I was in rehab. Um, and so I tried to hang on to that for a while, uh, while getting sober, making sort of, you know, whatever kind of being all over the place actually. Um, and then I put music down in like 2018, 2017 for a little bit, took like a, you know, nine months to a year off. And then I started doing hardcore and it clicked. Um, and I stayed sober that whole time, you know, and I, and I worked a job, you know, I, I just became a member of society and I was actually like very happy. Um, but the cash and prizes I got pretty quick. So I kind of started lagging on the, um, actual, you know, work that's required of a sober individual, um, at least in the, uh, sense, at least in the sense of the groups that I was involved with, mm-hmm. you know, um, Very they, were helping, yes. they, were, <laughs> they were helping me out. Um, and so they had told me, you know, Hey, you got to do these certain things. And I, and I stopped halfway through, um, and I felt the repercussions of that, um, two years in, and then I finished all that stuff they were telling me to do. And then I actually got the relief. I actually had the the, my personality shifted. That's really what huh. it was. You know, I had, a psychic, awesome. I had a psychic change, um, through like a process, you know, and, and, and my thoughts and feelings and behaviors changed because I realized that like, I didn't want to behave first of all, like I was behaving. And I also didn't want to behave like all these people who I was upset with, you know, all the time. Um, <laughs> constantly. <laughs> constantly. And then I realized, well, all the shit that these people, people do, I've done it at some point and I guess I don't want to be like that. Cause fuck man, if I'm just as guilty, well shit, it's, it's, it's like sobriety held up a mirror 
and I can't get rid of it. In fact, it's bigger now. Yeah. And more like detail. You're like, wow, this is like an HD miracle. Exactly what I wanted. (laughs) I want to act out so bad, but I just fucking can't. Well, I mean, I I think that that's like, no, 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 no. But I relate. And I think that that's something important to kind of touch on is that like, it can feel if I'm in resistance, like we were talking about, like if I'm in resistance, it can feel so frustrating because I'm just like, can I just like, get a little fucking like justifiably pissed like once in a while. (laughs) And the answer is like, I mean, yeah, but like how, like how bad do you want to (laughs) feel? Like, cause that's it. You right. You feel better. Like literally every feeling you feel better. And you know, I mean that like at a certain point, much like the kind of initial surrender, it's just easier to kind of be like, maybe I don't care that much. And it frees me up to kind of do other shit, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. It streamlined my life in a way that, that I didn't think was sort of possible. And, and then, so, you know, and kind of speaking about your career, like, was it scary to, to kind of try and pick that back up or was it, did it feel like a very obvious direct path? Um, like how did you, how did your relationship with work and music change as a result of your recovery? Uh, you know, it was, it's an interesting story thing I look back at it I got lucky um it was really like right it was right place at the right time but I was prepared you know um and I followed up that preparation right I was ready and I was consistent as fuck since then um and so so I had this moment in 2018 where I had this day job right I was selling vape juice best sober job uh i'm a west side la's recovery uh trope um sober living manager vape vape (laughs) sober living vape store (laughs) pipeline yeah yeah literally Uh, it's the way of the jedi though it really is Uh, (laughs) and uh everybody who did it stayed sober uh but um nonetheless uh so I was working for this company and I was a, a, a sales rep. Um, we were distributing uh, e-liquid, right? Bottles of e-liquid in like mass quantity to like smoke shop distributors all over the country and world. Um, and so I was doing like really well at this job. You know, um, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a natural born salesman. Um, so I was crushing it, you know, f- doing very well. And I had one foot in music and one foot there. And I had this moment where I was like, I have to pick one. And the thing that was right in front of me, and this is a concept I've taken into life in general, was that like my responsibility actually like was to the company that they needed me because I was a good employee um, and I was bringing in, you know, you know at least a million dollars of revenue to this co- company every single year. And so they needed me. And I said, you know what? I'm going to focus on this. And I put music down because I was beating a dead horse. Um with the music stuff. And it was kind of frustrating me, you know, and it was kind of like a bummer. Um, and so when I put it down, I I guess it like opened me up, you know, and, uh, I, you know, when I was still DJing, but like, you know, one thing happened and blah, blah, blah. I played a festival and I, I just said, fuck it. And I played an entire hardcore set. Cause I just, it was like this like moment of like, I don't care if I'm a DJ. I'm not trying to impress you. Yeah, I'm a sales guy and I'm cool with that. I made peace with this. Like I did some cool shit in 2013 and 2012 and 15, whatever. I've done cool shit, you know, like I'll die fine with what I did. You know, I'll go down and and I'll die and I'll be fine and I can be a sales guy and I'll have a family and it's cool and I'll have a lot of money and it'll be fine Um, and I'll be happy. I'll be able to be happy. 
and making peace with that. I really do think that like, maybe the universe just was like, good boy, here you go. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly, I, I, I love that story and thank you so much for telling it in detail because I think it's super instructive. It's about this idea that like, and I fall back onto it a lot and with a lot of gratitude, it's this idea of like, if I really believe that, you know, my God concept, my higher power has like, has my back and really wants what's best for me, then like, if it's, if I don't get what I think I want, then I'm going to get something that is more suited mm. and that will also be able to make me happy and, and give me liberation. And like, if I can trust that that's happening and I'm not cling to the shit that I think I need in order to be okay, then like. I, maybe I'm going to be a fucking really, I mean, like I had a, when I was coming out my first album, I talked a lot to my therapist about the shit about just being like, what if no one likes it? He's like, what's your plan B? I'm just like dog trainer in the countryside. And I moved to the countryside anyway, but the, the album was okay. You know, like it was actually a, it was like the plan B was fucking sick. <laughs> yeah. 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 I talk, I, I've talked about that a lot that it's like, you know, I may have a 10 year run, and I'll get into the fitness industry. I, I don't know. Like, I'll be a bodybuilder. I'll, I'll sell products. I'll be a cook or I'll, you know, show people how to diet. Like, I don't know. Like, there's so like, – like, it's like, dude, I've been a sales guy. I was a cook in, like, a five-star restaurant for a while. Like, I was a trap DJ. I was a bass player. Like, I was this. I was that. I was a successful sales guy for three and a half years. And now I'm a hardcore DJ. Like, dude, it's nothing yeah. – like, nothing is, like – it has to be this thing. Now – don't get me wrong. I want a fucking 30 year career and I want to go down in fucking hardcore history, but <laughs> I'm going to make that happen. But yeah, but I mean, just not kind of having that as a prison, right? Yeah. Non-attachment thing. You know, it's, a, it's, it, and it, it is what you said. Like, I like what you said about the higher power and trusting in that. And for me, a lot of that like resides in like, it's always now, like it's not, five minutes ago and it's not five minutes it's right now not anymore but now well, <laughs> yeah not anymore but something <laughs> there and the eastern people have always believed that um and you know like if, even Eckhart Tolle you know big big name in this sort of like the, the literal power of now <laughs> yeah the power of now exactly Sam Harris even who's an, who's an atheist um he really believes in this stuff and I, lo- I adore Sam Harris but he's huge on philo- uh spirituality for lack of a better word, um, but whatever, call it spirituality. Um, the, the New Agers hijacked it, and it pisses me off. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, that's my personal opinion. Um, nonetheless, all spirituality is pretty good, actually. You know, any sort of kind of practice, as long as it's grounded in some kind of like rationality or you know, good vibes. Um, none, nonetheless, uh, I think that there's something there, and for me, it's like, what do I need to do today? And it goes back to that story. I needed to sell vape juice, not try to be a trap DJ or whatever the fuck. Like I need today to make my content. I need to do my podcast. I need to go meet up with my guys and, you know, show them the way, uh, through sobriety, you know, um, which I, I still do, uh, pretty regularly. I help, help people get sober and stuff. Um, and so that's, that's today. Tomorrow will be another day, you know, and, and, and trusting in that reality, which to me is trusting in my higher power, you know, which is trusting in like the now essentially. Cause, cause it gets me out of that shit you were talking about with your album. What if Yeah, if, like, like, I had, the I had that when I released my album, I like yelled at a hot girl in the gym. I was so fucking beside myself about my album. The oh. 
And she was like, what the fuck? And I was like, I'm so sorry. I like walked up to her and I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. I meant, I meant. <laughs> and she was like, don't like what, dude? And I was like. <laughs> oh. <laughs> when the pressure's on, it's tough. But I mean, and and, and also like what a, a teachable moment. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. And like, so I'm, it sounds like that there was a really kind of organic path to, to this place. It was, it was a kind of a series of small miracles, but also just like, again, like you said, like staying present, putting one foot in front of the other and, and, and what you've built is really, you know, probably maybe far from what you thought it was going to be. Oh my God. Light years apart from where I think, but you know, you, I'm sure you can relate to this, that when you really, when you look close, it makes sense. You know, it, when you, when I look really close, it does make sense why I'm doing hardcore. Um, given my like affinity for like grindcore bands. Only and, extreme things. <laughs> yeah. Only extreme things. And even the jazz I tended tr- towards was, was very bright. Like I really liked like burn down jazz kind of stuff and, and, and growing up with square pusher and, and the prodigy. And like, I, I've always been an electronic music fan, like very, very early on, very, very into electronic music. And these groups that I liked, played pretty bright stuff, um, you know, BPM wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I look back and I can see it and I can see other weird little elements. Like we were, I'm a huge Primus fan. And I was, I was like looking at Primus cause I'm a bass player, you know? And so, and I was like, wow, like this shit is like kind of showing up in my brand. Like that's so weird to like see that. So, and it was totally subconscious you but know? it's rad though, because I feel like you you had mentioned that you're kind of a natural salesman, but also I think you keep talking about like your brand, and I think it's very helpful and probably very healthy that you kind of have a separation between like Little Texas, the kind of avatar, yeah. and like the brand, and actually like your day to day lived experience of you know being a dude in recovery. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. There's a, the cowboy hat comes on, it all changes. <laughs> the, yeah. For those listening, because this is not broadcast visually, this is not a visual medium. Uh, the cowboy hat is on right now. Cowboy hat is on. It is on. But in the inter- interviews, interviews, Sam comes out. Sam comes out. Um, you know, with the philosophy and the psychology and all the analytical aspects of these concepts. You know, which is awesome, and I think that it's probably super helpful for people who are you know are following you to like to see that side that it's, you know, there is the balance and it's actually kind of like, it's almost weighted in the opposite direction than, <laughs> than the cowboy hat suggests. Yes. 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 Which is good. And, and it's actually been a, a, a big selling point. I think for me, um, it, like kind of humanizing myself while being sensational, you know, trying to be a sensational individual because I, I you know, I, I just know what it's about. Um, as far as like, you know, social media and all these things are concerned, it's a, it's an extremist thing. Um, we are getting more and more used to extreme and sensational, but you know, like or performative. Said, yeah. Yeah. Very performative. I'm that guy, but I've always been attracted to that stuff. So it works for me. Um, and you know, I don't think everybody has to be as extreme as me, but, but, um, you know, being sensational, but also being like, Hey, like I'm also a dude who just sits around in his apartment and like, reads Malcolm Gladwell, you know, like, and like goes to the gym and like puts parsley on, chops up parsley and puts it on his meal when he's alone because I want it to look pretty. <laughs> you know, 
that's the kind of guy I am. I mean, and speaking of the gym, like, you know, you mentioned kind of an interest in bodybuilding and that's evident <laughs> as part of your brand, but also, you know, I think it's like there, it, it kind of fits with the through line of like extremism, but also like, I'm curious as to kind of how, as your body transformed, like how your relationship with it transformed. <laughs> that's an up and down. Um, I mean, like a lot of bodybuilders get body dysmorphia and stuff. And, and, uh, while I, it's, it's tough actually. Um, cause when you get, I, my experience and most guys experiences when they get really, 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 really lean and they get their best physique ever and they're just fucking abs and the whole deal. Um, they actually get body dysmorphia. Then. Yeah. They hate themselves. Yeah. They're like, Tragic. Oh, I'm not, I'm shredded now. But then like, you know, they, you know, binge eat after they've done their cut or something, or, you know, they're in their bulk, they go through a bulk phase and they're like, Oh, I'm fat, you know, and they get all fucked up and they're like, I got to stay shredded. And they get all weird with food and stuff. And I've definitely like had some experiences there. I've definitely had to like deal with some of that. Um, but I've gotten so, so, so much better in the like positive aspects of the bodybuilding stuff and the like inspiration that I've given to so many people at least online uh, to get in the best shape of their lives. And additionally, sort of like with sobriety, um, passing the torch on showing people how to, you know, do do life sober. Um, I've done that as well with the bodybuilding that I've, you know, been trained guys, you know, my friends for free. And now my friends have the best physiques in their lives. And now those guys are showing the, the new guys, how to diet and how to like train. And, and it's this like, Hey, let's get better, you know? And also like fucking showbiz, baby. <laughs> I gotta showbiz be requires delts. Hey. I gotta be <laughs> hot, <you know>? um, <laughs> but I also love it. I also just love it. It's it's bodybuilding is very weird. Bodybuilding is a very, like the sport of bodybuilding, like actual bodybuilding. Oh yeah. So fucking weird. Dude. Do you stuff. compete? No, I would love to though. I would love to at some point. It's the traveling. I can't, I just can't. Yeah. Um, there's like a lot of, that goes into like the week before a show where like traveling would ruin. Tanning and fasting and drinking yeah. no water. It's <laughs> like, yeah. I have a headache forever. Yeah, like, the amount of like drugs you'd have to take to be competitive is like not really something I'm interested in either. Um, like yeah. Do you feel like, yeah. I mean, I, I had a sponsor relapse in steroids and it was really scary because you just don't see it coming. Right. Like you're like, I'm going to the gym every day. I'm getting so lean and ripped. And you're like, but wait, what? Oh. It's when you come on. Yeah. It's when you stop doing the steroids. That's when the guys get all fucked up. Um, so I'm not really super interested in like taking that level of, of, of steroids. You know, um, I don't think that it is healthy. Um, and like, I'm not interested in doing that. I also don't have the time, but it's weird. It's counterculture. Bodybuilding is like the freak show. It's not normal at all to want to look that big. It is fucking weird. Girls don't like it. You know, like a lot of people find it just absolutely disgusting. Or at least disturbing that you're like, and I also, I mean, I think that the, the, I, and I wonder how you kind of keep it from being a vanity project, right? Keep it from being a literal vanity project where it's about like, how do you adjust the relationship with, yeah, it, it being an ego sport as opposed to like a way to kind of sculpt yourself. Like how do you, yeah, how do you think about it within your spiritual I mean, lens? Bit, I think it's a little bit of like the competition between me and my buddies is, is good. 
it's good to have that. I really do believe that that's like really, 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 really good to have. Um, and, and, but in a playful way. And that's how we all are. We're all trying to be better. And like, yeah, you know, it's like, I benched this Thriving. month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're competing, you know, who's going to get the most shredded for EDC, you know? And like my buddy inched me out, you know, and he looked fucking great and I couldn't believe it. I was like, God damn. Um, <laughs> he looked great. I'm bigger than him, but he, but he looked great. But, uh, but nonetheless, it doesn't matter. Um, it's, it's really about the artistic aspect. I think about it from like that avenue that there's like a, there's, there's tools, you know, it's, it's cardio, it's diet and it's weight training and you can change yourself into this like Superman sculpture looking guy, you know, and taper your waist by making your shoulders bigger. Your waist doesn't change. It's the same structurally. You can't move your bones, but you can make yourself look like you have a snatched ass waist if your shoulders are super big and your quads are, are, are wider. Um, and, and so it's like, it's just another thing to progress at. And I also mm-hmm. just love it. I just love lifting weights. It also could be that I'm, cause I'm five, eight, you know, every bodybuilder that's, that loves bodybuilding is like five, eight to five, 10. We're short. <laughs> You're like, this We're is my superpower. Some shit. <laughs> I mean, but it's it's cool that you can recognize that though that you're like wait I mean it, and and find joy in it as opposed to being like this is compensating and it's bad it's you're like like no I I truly have found a love for this sport yeah, yeah and and I think that like yeah I think for a while you know I remember I was I, like doing like ultra marathons <laughs> like, yeah, yeah you know as one must in early sobriety <laughs> um, but that idea of like. Having like I remember I was overtraining and I thought God was punishing me for like being self obsessed essentially and that's not what was happening I had like an iron deficiency but this this idea of um, of having a relationship with your body that is spiritual and sobriety and trying to kind of like balance that with the idea of wanting to like achieve right mm-hmm. and because I think it's like at least socially it's much more acceptable maybe not but. Perhaps like, especially now that we are kind of seeing a lot of like body neutrality or body positivity movements that it can only be, it can almost be demonized. Like I know as somebody who's struggled with eating disorders that I have to kind of be careful about what achievement looks like in that area. So, so thinking about, you know, how do you have a spiritual relationship with your body? Yeah. And, and, And it is also that too. I'm glad you actually brought that up that like when I'm, when I'm training, I'm not thinking about shit. You know, maybe when I'm doing cardio, I'm thinking about some shit. But <laughs> when I'm in under the bench, when I'm under the 250 pounds, I am not thinking about what if I don't get booked? You know, what if what if my career falls off in two years? What if my social media – dude, I'm not thinking about anything. Yeah, practice and presence. But right then, you know, and th- those practices, what, regardless of they, what they are, are good, you know. Um, do I think that that's spirituality at its core? No, because I think we have to do those things not doing it. Um, but the notion is there that when I'm not thinking about anything and that's why people love it so much because they're not thinking about their fucking life. They're in flow in those moments. And so people love it, you know, because of, because of that. And, and, but it does like hearken to those Eastern concepts at Cartoli and all that stuff because you're in the moment. And many would argue that that's what God is actually, you know, or like that's the higher power is right now, or it resides there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that I do believe that that's where it is. And I rem- I also think that there is like a kind of microcosm of understanding about like struggle <laughs> that can be so beautifully applied to kind of the bigger the bigger picture that can be kind of zoomed macro of like th- like 
suffering is your friend and like learning how to appreciate that process. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and shifting because we are a product of our thoughts. Our thoughts are going to dictate, you know, how we view things or how we feel about things. And like, dude, it hurts to do leg day. It's not fun. It sucks. It's so fucking painful, but I love it. Well, what's up with that? You know, like how did, well, it's just because the way I'm viewing it, the way that I'm directing my consciousness at the activity that is empirically painful. It is objectively a painful thing. It does not feel good in the moment, actually. Um, but I never think about it that way. And so I'm reading this book and I was like, wait, yeah, it actually like really hurts. I'm not even thinking about it. It really like is a painful thing, but I love it. And I've never actually considered that it's pain in the moment because of, of my attachment to it via my conscious, you know? Um, and so I find that that's like a very, very powerful tactic. And which is why I recommend guys who've reached, cause I do a lot of like inspirational stuff too. Like I share the stuff that I'm reading online you know, via my story, via live. I'm like, Hey, this shit's worked for me. And if we all behaved, you know, maybe more according to some of these guys, do a little Texas book club. (laughs) I want to start one actually. I'm serious. You know, if we, the world could be a better place if we all like aligned with our values and acted accordingly and like weren't pricks um, and worked hard at our goals. Like you would be happy if you did that. Um, It's pretty fucking simple. However, I think that like I, I urge guys to start many people, not just guys, but you know, guys is a gender neutral term. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's mostly men, you know, people who identify as, as you know, men um, uh, or males or uh, whatever um, who are reaching out to me. But nonetheless, I, I urge them mostly. I'm like, look, start in the gym because if you stay dialed for three or four weeks in the gym, you will see results. You will. And if you see that, that you did a process that was kind of hard and you had to go out a little out of your way and it was a little painful and you maybe had to like diet a little bit, you know, and not stop fucking drinking Coke and eating Sour Patch Kids, like, you know, whatever. And you get results, you go, well, shit, man, maybe if there's like a process for everything, maybe I can like, you know, buy a house because I got results in the gym. It's pretty instant. So I need got I need people to like, get some instant results that's like, Hey dude, suffering, pain and hard work. And these, these concepts will bring about something much, much more valuable down the line. And yeah. especially for addicts. Man. Or reinforcing the tiny habits, I think is really totally, totally, a totally great utility. I mean, yeah. I, I, as you say, especially for addicts, even just cause like, then you can get, you can be tired enough to like have a sleep regulated. Exactly. And like it's the opposite of instant gratification. It's the contrary action to instant gratification. It's doing things that require routine and time and a small process that you will not see results for three weeks, but then you will quick. And that's quicker than most things. That's quicker than a music career. (laughs) But if you know that a process will work and if that you continue to alter that process and, and potentially like follow, follow away, you will eventually, you know, see some sort of benefits from that. It's funny because I definitely relate to this, like the hardcore attitude that seems to be your kind that like is the brand, but it's also like the character, like if your, your true nature is actually like it's hyper-disciplined, like that's actually the most hardcore part of it. <laughs> and I like, yes, yes, same. And Dis- I, discipline yeah. is freedom. Discipline is freedom. That true job is right. He's not wrong. It's, it's <laughs> And it's a delight. Like I feel really safe and kind of 
uh, yeah, like really secure in, in the rhythm. And I wonder kind of how that translates to touring, because I know that, you know, a lot of people struggle with keep maintaining the discipline on the road. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard. Like, uh, it, dude, it's just the Euro hotel breakfast. Like when I'm trying to get shredded for EDC and I get off stage at fucking five in the fucking morning at boat's house. And I like, you know, I'm like on cloud nine because it's just was so fucking sick, you know, and I'm like, what is life? You know, I'm looking. Like I walk into the hotel and it's like just a spread of ham and brie and all this stuff. You know, it's like hard to stay disciplined diet wise, you know, when I have like specific goals, like, you know, getting shredded for EDC every year. Being <laughs> uh, shredded like, constantly nonstop. <laughs> yeah. With, like, with drugs and alcohol, though, you know, it's it's. uh it's not a big deal. Uh, it's so funny. A lot of people go, oh, that must be so hard. Yeah. It must uh-huh. be so hard for you. And I'm like, it's not hard at all. But I mean, you also, like myself, kind of started touring more seriously, like deeper into your sobriety after, yeah, you know, cool. like, like I can't imagine trying to start a touring career straight out of rehab. Like that would have been a fucking shit show. <laughs> oh, no way. No way. What, what are your kind of rituals like leading up? Like I know that – like I try and have like hotel gym on, on rider, but like outside of that, like requiring lots of naps <laughs> and like, yeah. s- like specific kind of ca- caffeine intake to be able to regulate sleep. Like what are your qu- kind of touring rituals for being able to kind of feel? Yeah. Well, like, domestic sing. domestic's pretty mellow. You know, I'm in and out of there most of the time, you know, and it's, it's get to the city, hit the hotel gym, get the food in me, play the show, do the meet and greet after the show. Um, and like, take as many pictures as I can as, you know, as the club will let me. And then it's like, dude, it's like hotel, post the videos on the story or whatever. Thank everybody. And like, wake up and go home, you know, or go to the next city. It's pretty, it's pretty much that it's like, that's really what it looks like. Um, you know, FaceTime my girlfriend. So she knows I'm in my hotel room alone. Um, you know, and, uh, <laughs> uh, there's a joke, babe. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> anyways, and then, but in Europe, it's like a strategy of staying up, you yeah. know, on the flight or not, or trying to not stay awake or like pushing when I get there to like stay awake. And so, so my deal with Europe is, which I'm, I'm in Europe at least once a month, maybe twice a month sometimes. And I'll be there for a while this summer. And, and uh, it's, uh, you know, it's get to the hotel and maybe even like I'll like try to stay on L.A. time like a little bit. Like I'll wake up in the middle of the night and go DJ. That's like the first thing I do during my day, quote unquote. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're in and out and there's a nine hour time difference, that's easier than kind of trying to get yeah. on European time. Yeah. Then I go see the city. So it's like get to the place. If it's like noon, I'm like, all right, check into the airport hotel, which is beautiful. I love how the European bookers do that. At least they do it in hardcore. Um, and uh you know, I go into the city immediately. It's like, okay, go into the city, dude. Like you're going to regret not going to that art museum. Like you're going to regret not going and seeing that church. And so I do that. I like get my trip advisor out and like top 10 things to do in Toulouse. And like, so I do the top 10 things in Toulouse and I like sweet culture. Awesome. And then I like go home, sleep. And, and, and yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's just a series of that. It's either sleep or don't sleep, stay awake, don't stay awake. And then try to try to like, get regulated as quick as possible and then come home and the same deal stay awake or like go to bed yeah no i mean it sounds like the 
the through line again is like hardcore discipline of like, this is what I know I have to do. And not necessarily, cause I know that I get a little bit like anxious when the schedule gets thrown off. So it's even, you know, just touring weekends here. It's still like how to balance the like hungry, angry, lonely, tired with the like show up and do a good job and like sleep and have <laughs> community. Do you, do you like, see, I always have the experience and not often. Sometimes I'm just stoked the whole time. I'm like, I'm in fucking Europe. Let's go fucking DJ. Woo. But other times I'm like, oh, man, oh, time to go to work, you know, because I'm just beat up, you know, from the travel and stuff. And I'm just feel weird. I just feel weird. My circadian yeah. rhythm is off. Um, I don't know. Do you? But then I get to the club and it's all good. Every time I press play and it's all good. Yeah. I don't know if you have that experience where I press play and they all go, woo. And I'm like. Yeah, I arrived. Yeah, I'll I mean, I, every one of you. <laughs> typically, like that, the, the entering a venue kind of changes things and and puts things in perspective. Because it's again, like you know, if I had told the person who was thought that they would never get to DJ as a as a sober person that like this gets to be my job fucking 17 years later and I get to do it with my favorite people and I get paid money for it <laughs> that I can live off of. Like that person would have just been like, fuck you, you're lying, <laughs> you know? So that's helpful to kind of be like, Oh, you, you get, you get to do this. You don't have to do this. Like plenty yeah, of people yeah, would be yeah, happy yeah. to take this job. Um, <clears throat> so to kind of pivot once more, why are you known as the Western kink daddy? <laughs> Oh, that was like a little brand thing we did right at the beginning. I forgot about that. Holy shit. Uh, it's in many of your bios. <laughs> all my shit is so chaotic. Like my name is like my manager's name. Like I made a joke that I was 18 and like some people think I'm 18 and stuff. <laughs> weird, convoluted shit. People are like, hey, Ian. And I'm like, my name is Sam. Um, <laughs> I think I emailed you. Hi, Ian. Sorry. <laughs> it's literally my manager. I don't know where that came up, but it just did. All this sorts of funny stuff has happened. And we kind of like let it ride as like just like a little funny thing, just jokes, just to have jokes. Um, I don't know, man. I just, just, I just, I just want things to be sexy and spicy, you know, like that's, that's really like, I've always been attracted to that. I just think that it's cool. And I think that like hardcore can be sexy. I think that like what we can do is sexy and, and obviously I'm a cowboy and, Obviously, (laughs) obviously, yeah. I like to be, you know, I'm out there and I'm very like allied with everyone. I'm just allied with everyone, you know. Like, I don't know, people, 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 every girl I've ever dated me dated has asked me. Every single girl has asked me if I was bi. Like, so you're bi, right? And I'm like, actually, no. I'm like, I'm like, but every girl asks me that. Why? And they're like, because you flirt with gay men on your Twitter all the time. And I'm like, do I? Like, do I do that? Like, I don't even know that I'm doing it. I'm just interacting with everybody. Like I would interact with everybody, you know? Very consistent. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's it. You know, I think that it's just like, I'm, I, you know, I have my identity and I have my, you know, uh, preferences and I have my whatever, you know, um, orientation. Yeah. That's the word. I have my orientations, but, but I find everybody fascinating. You know, and I find that, that that that's just cool. I don't know. I just think it's cool that people are different, you know. And so, like, I think that kind of aligns with, you know, the kink aspect of it. I was much more, like, into that stuff, like, in my earlier side of the career. Like, I was going to, like, BDSM clubs and shit like that, you know, uh, in L.A. And I was like, you know, yeah. 
I mean, and, and kind of like on the more serious end of that question spectrum, like in 12 step recovery, there's often this concept of a sex ideal, which is like, who are we growing towards being in sexual or romantic relationships? And I'm curious if you're working with a sex ideal today, like who are you growing into in that, in that space? Uh, my girlfriend, obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a huge, huge part of my recovery. My life like landed pretty, like, it's like, like we talk, it's like the, for people who are unfamiliar with, with Alcoholics Anonymous, it's, you know, which I, it's a book that I've read. Um, and I think it's a pretty valuable, uh, tool when discussing what addiction and alcoholism looks like. I think that the writers of that book did a very good job at describing what, what, what we're dealing with here. And, and they did it in the thirties and it's, and it's, there's objective data that prior to the development of that book, people, lobotomies. Did, not, people did not get sober. Yeah. Lobotomies. The Oxford group was having a little success, but it was very, very Christian oriented and very, very religious, but they lifted all the shit from them and Carl Jung. Carl Jung also noticed that people who had spiritual experiences got sober. Um, those are the only people, um, who, but they were white light experiences. They were like these deep and, the, and Bill and Bob, the guys who wrote Alcoholics Anonymous were like, well, that's not going to work for everybody. Um, and like so how can we affect that? Yeah. 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 So how can we open this up? And even AA took a little bit of time, um, letting everybody in, but they, but they did. Um, that's kind of a beautiful thing actually, um, about it, uh, via the traditions aspect, but nonetheless, um, I think that, uh, that the sex idea was something that I had to work with because my life came into place and the discipline and seemingly every area, but relationships seemed to like, all right, we're good. Um, everything's good now. Uh, I got this under control and relationships were a very hard thing for me, um, for a while. And so the sex idea was the one thing that really did actually help me. And, and with that, and for people who are listening, I think this is a very, very great way to find uh, your ideal partner. First, you make the perfect person, which obviously doesn't exist. Um, and then we talk about what's negotiable and what's non-negotiable. Um, and then you date. And then you move those things around as you date. <laughs> That's so interesting because I do think that there's different ways of doing it. And like, I appreciate this idea of kind of thinking about who you want to be with. But like the way I was always taught to do it was like, who, who do I want to be? And then kind of like attract what would be appropriate for that. Like if I'm, if I want to be in a safe relationship, that means I have to be a safe person to be with. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's the kind of like negative, the inverse. <laughs> oh, weird. That's cool. Yeah, I like that. Maybe I mutually. Should... That would be cool. Maybe I'll throw that in now. We'll do because <laughs> I got some. I got some guys there. You got some dudes. <laughs> no, yeah. but that's beautiful though, because I also think that like even having kind of, you know, not stand like standard sounds kind of like a a fucked up way to put it, but like knowing what is good for you is an important thing <laughs> in order to sit sober. <laughs> Standards is a good word. That is, that is a good word. I think that like, yeah, like, but nonetheless, yeah, that's, that's what helped me moving the things around though, was what I needed to do. And I was sort of kind of unwilling at first. I was like, no, 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 I got this figured out. Like I want this, you know? And then I started to realize that like, well, maybe I actually don't want that. And maybe there's some things that I need on the left side of the, the non-negotiable that I was sort of maybe being like, that's shallow you know or like oh, it's kind of shallow but like it kept causing problems you know so it's like well maybe like somebody who's like you know 
employable. Fitness <laughs> or physic, very physically fit, you know, might be something I need because it's such a big part of my life. And I actually don't think that that's shallow if it's coming from a place of like, you know, rationality, that there's no judgment towards the other thing. It's just what I need, you know? Um, and it's sort of kind of navigating that, that it's like, okay, yeah, like I love like so many of my friends are like hipsters who are like into cool shit and like ahead of the curve. But like, you know, is that something I need in a relationship or conversely, like, you know, I don't, don't want a hipster. Um, but maybe I do need a little bit of like cool kid. You know, I need somebody who has good taste. I need somebody blah, 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 blah. Um, and so my current girlfriend is literally that you hear that. <laughs> are you just performing the sex ideal for your girlfriend who's in the next room yeah. <laughs> like that better be me like, you are perfect I love <laughs> you so much <laughs> dream girl yeah. it's all happening <laughs> seriously so personally or professionally what's next and where are you growing today oh man we got a bunch of Europe stuff um, I'm headed to Switzerland, Paris and Vietnam this weekend for some shows. I have a very cool thing with a, uh, a fashion designer who hit me up doing the music for his next runway show, which is epic as fuck. Um, and I'm still a little taken aback by the whole thing. Um, so, so that's a big thing that will be unveiled eventually. Um, and uh, album coming out in June and then just a slew of, of cheeky edits and remixes and tracks and DJ mixes and, lots of shows domestically and internationally. Um, that's, that's the deal. Just the awesome. same, the same thing, but better. <laughs> Nonstop. Nonstop. Hard fucking court. Yeah. I've been playing with some, like live stuff too. Like trying to incorporate maybe some like live hardcore. Does that happen? Do you feel like it's, it's working? Do you feel like it's kind of on the fly and spontaneous and excited now? Or, or is it something you're kind of presently figuring out? I'm just doing it for fun and for content um, just to see – I'm doing it to just see if I can do it um, because I saw a noise suppressor back in the day. He had these like motion detecting things. Like he had this drum rack. It looked like a, a drum machine, right? Or not a drum machine. One of those electronic drum mm -hmm. kits looked with the white pads or white drums or whatever. And he had it motion sensor. So it was like back in the millennium days, like uh, 2010 to – or 2006 to like 2015. So it hit it and it would be this kick. It would be like – and it was motion detected so he wasn't actually hitting the pad it's really really cool and so they inspired me i was like whoa what if i got an like an akai beat pad and i triggered it up with ableton and i like played out a drop and i played the kicks and the fills and stuff like wouldn't that be cool and kids would think that was really cool online you know um and so and I'm also like you get to be spontaneous which i think is really important like yeah. you get so to have an actual it could be it could be a live thing who knows maybe i'll do it live i don't know i can live yeah um so before we before we let you go we're gonna do a quick lightning round cool just to end on it like an effervescent thrilling note uh don't think too hard what's your favorite snack rice cakes with, with <laughs> like low calorie cheese spread what is your favorite exercise? I mean, we heard about leg day. What, oh, which <laughs> that's uh, back day. Back day. What 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 exercise specifically? Uh, pull downs. Sick. Uh, what what's the way that you, that you reset when you're having a hard day? Uh, gym. 
<laughs> Obviously. What turns you on? And that can be like sexually or it can be like intellectually, energetically, like inspirationally, whatever. Uh, somebody who's driven, who tries hard uh, and uh, rhinestones. <laughs> <laughs> How do you wind down when you're finished with the set? Uh, shower and social media going through content. <laughs> like that sounds like a nightmare. I have like a no looking at the like videos from that night on that night because it fucks yeah. me up too much. Um, but respect your respect your rhythm. Um, what gives you a feel a feeling of childlike wonder? <laughs> Ooh, I love that. Um skiing skiing like 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 skiing doing sports like skiing and like um jumping off like cliffs and stuff like that and like trampolines and diving boards and things like that <laughs> like <Flip>. bouncing and zooming <laughs> and finally what do you love i love concepts in general concepts like, like, like the deeper concepts of, of, of everything. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> you don't have to be more specific. That's great. Yeah. Concept. <laughs> Loves concepts. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was so nice to get to know you better. What a pleasure. Yeah. You come back anytime, <laughs> anytime you have something to push, just like be like, we talk about it on summer sex. Yes. Let me know. I would love to. Creativity, authenticity, body autonomy, mental health, sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, got a special growth, summer, sex, all of this and more, summer, sex, you'll never get bored, summer, sex, all of this and more, summer, sex, we're never ever bored, creativity, authenticity, body autonomy, Sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, got a 